0: You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey
1: everybody, Ed Stetzer here and so looking forward to sharing God's word today with you. You may notice that our backdrop is now in line with the color palette that is Calvary and thankful to Mick for all of his help to make that magic happen. And uh, he actually told me not to mention that, but I did anyway. If this made it through, that means he didn't edit it out. But anyway, so glad to be able to share, continuing through the book of Philippians, looking at God's word. We're looking specifically here at Philippians chapter two, verses uh, three and four, where you may notice we kind of slowed down. And there's a reason for that. There's a lot of important content to cover here, and I want to make sure we don't miss it. So let's look at Philippians chapter two. Beginning at verse three. Here's, I'll read it. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only out for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so uh, this passage here is a uh, lead up to what starts in the next few verses, which is going to be stunning. We're going to really have a great time looking at the theology of this passage. But to to do that, to get there, we want to start by seeing and not missing what's going on leading up to that. We know that in Philippians chapter 2, uh, we, we're going to talk about the kenosis. Sean was concerned that I made sure I defined and described that. And kenosis is the emptying. How did Jesus empty himself? What does that look like? And so, And he's right. I want to make sure we get that that's coming. We're going to really go theologically in-depth there. But so much of the Bible contains this contrast where there's great in-depth theology followed by or preceded by some very practical living, and that's what we see here. And there's a very clear call, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We're going to walk through that. Now, we just recently went through and remembered uh, 9-11, and I recently was rereading about uh, Rick Rascola, and some of you know the name. He was He's got a war history background, platoon leader in Vietnam. Uh, by the time he was working in Manhattan, he was a 62-year-old security guard for Morgan Stanley in the second tower on September 11th. And he had worried about a possible attack. He actually wanted the company to move out of the building. He worried about a possible attack since the 1993 bombing. And he had an evacuation plan. He actually really irritated his his uh, supervisors, his uh, his employers at time because he would keep insisting on people following and doing these drills and more. So um, he took a megaphone right after, well, after 9-11 and after the strike in the second tower and began evacuating employees. The Washington Post put it this way, quote, Morgan Stanley lost only six of its 2,700 employees in the South Tower on September 11th, an isolated miracle among the carnage. Amid company officials say Raskorla um, deserve, deserves most of the credit. He drew up the evacuation plan. He's hustled his colleagues to safety. And then he apparently went back in the inferno to search for stragglers. And some of you know the story. He actually died when the building collapsed trying to rescue others. So we hear things like that and we are rightfully amazed. And we honor their memory. There's, he's actually, he was British and there's actually a a little statue, a little monument in, in, at his home, I think it was in Cornwall in the UK and of course been honored in many of this documentary and everything else. That's not the way we think we think of those. I mean, we want to, but naturally we kind of born growing up, basically learning to cry for things. And if I first, you don't succeed, cry, cry again. Right. And so we kind of learn in our own way to, to ultimately, um, to, to be selfish from our birth. And of course, as Christians, we believe that we're uh, sinners by nature and by choice. And as such, we inherit a sin nature, sinners by nature and by choice. And in doing so, we are, we can be, people can be naturally inclined not to putting others first. So this message is choosing to place others first. And that's what I want us to look at today, because we never drift naturally into putting others first. It's a choice we have to make. And we must make it regularly because it cuts against the grain of our nature and our culture. And Paul the Apostle, who's writing this letter to the people at Philippi, the church at Philippi, this motley team, remember we started out with this kind of real motley team. We don't know how big the church is by the time Paul writes to them. But he says to have unity is through humbling ourselves. We talked about that last week and putting others first. So my theme today is we can live together in unity but it requires us to now have a new humility. We can live together in unity, but it keeps coming back to this new sense of um, humility. And we're going to look at that, keeping in mind that this great hymn is about to come up. If you look in your Bible in Philippians 2, you'll actually see that the later parts are indented because it's this hymn that the church would sing or say, and then Paul includes it here. We'll get to that more in next week. But um, so we'll go through this first uh, one at a time. Number one, choose to believe that others are more important, right? Now that's a heroic act that we heard earlier, but also too that's the life and the way of Christians, right? Philippians two three says, "Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves." So that's the beginning passage, right? So uh, for me, my brother and I were kind of rivals. I don't know. We were a sibling rivalry, I guess. Um, this past week is actually the anniversary uh, excuse me the birthday of my sister who died um, she She got cancer and died when she was twenty one and uh, Later on, my brother and I became close you know he 's now a federal uh, prosecutor uh, of the in, in western District of North Carolina and doing great work, putting away bad guys but my um, growing up we weren 't that way at all when I went back to Levitown to visit one of the neighbors, I met Mrs. Wadden she was an older lady and she she said to me when, when we met her, I met her and she said, oh, I remember you, little Eddie Stetzer, and your brother Billy was always getting you in trouble. And I was like, yes, called my brother that day and said, yes. So we kind of got in some trouble together, partly because, um, you know, brothers can be that way. And I think it happens to all of us. We have a natural and normal tendency to rivalry in family and also sometimes in church. And our growing up often involves pushing others out of the way to get our way. And when we grow up, the sandbox get bigger and the stakes get higher, but often the principles remain the same. Rivalry still happens. Pride still happens at work, at home, at church. And so what the Bible tells a different story. We don't push each other out of the way. We join hands in faith and joy, key things here, right? So this verse goes through, these verses go through, two negatives and two positives in verse three to address how we can make others more important. Let's look at them. First, uh, the two negatives, right? The first one is selfish ambition. Now, uh, Thayer's which is kind of a de- just definer of Bible words, uh, talks selfish ambition as kind of used for those who electioneer for office, right? So aren't we in the middle of that right now? Courting popular applause applause by trickery and low arts, right? So it's sort of the idea of, of always putting ourselves before other people is kind of a key uh, picture of that. And so what we see is, for us, there's selfish ambition when we promote ourselves. It's the creation of our minds and how we put ourselves forward regardless of the cost. In some ways, it refers to inordinate self-love. There's different ways this verse is actually translated in different Bible translations. For example, uh, the ESV, which we use here, at Calvary says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So that's the language that's used there. Um, do uh, The CEV says, don't be jealous or proud. The NASB, I memorized this in the NASB, it says, uh, do nothing from through faction or vainglory. So I'm glad the ESB is a little updated in its language. The message just put to this way, don't push your way to the front. And I love that. And chapter one of Philippians is all about putting Christ first, right? It's all about putting Christ first. And whereas in chapter two in Philippians, it's about others next, right? So it's Christ first. Others next, put others before yourself, which I will tell you would be a wonderful, beautiful thing for us as followers of Jesus to actually think about what it might look like to put others consistently first, to actually make that a priority, to put others consistently first. And, and again, so we see that clearly laid out in the scripture text. So first is the idea to others more important, two negative selfish ambition. And then second is conceit is conceit, and conceit is vainglory, is uh, how it's defined in, uh, or translated even in the NASB, and so, but the idea of this conceit is, um, it kind of means empty pride, and we willing, willing to fight to prove that, um, that someone is right, willing to fight to prove that someone is right, and it's this pride that comes in with this selfish ambition, it's the creation of our hearts right that we put others first uh, regardless of the cost because we're better and uh, and better than everyone and everything else now we see this in uh third john 1 9 which just specifically mentioned kind of an obscure figure in the bible but it says of him who likes to put himself first and i think that's a key phrase for all of us to hear who likes to put himself first that should not be the description of any of us. Now, I know that immediately many of us would be saying, well, that's not me. That's not how I am. But what I want you to say, what I want you to hear is is actually that's a lot of us, um, but we do it in less obvious ways. When I was a little baby, I'd cry for getting my way. Here, I might really want my way. For example, it might be really important to me that something that's not a biblical command, but something that's a preference in church has to be done it has to be done this way. Maybe it's the kind of songs that I like to sing. Maybe it's kind of maybe it's how the ushers are supposed to work, or maybe it's how the uh, business meetings should go. And and I will scra- slowly and not always graciously uh, seek to put myself or ourselves first. And I, I think ultimately that's what Paul's warning against here, right? And in First in Third John, we see the same thing. So again, the term applies to selfish ambition for personal goals. And then the second is for personal glory. They go hand in hand. We call it um, prideful promotion, right? Happens individually, but also in the church. And I got to tell you, I've been in churches where we actually see um, uh, a, a connection. Like people argue between services. Uh, we, at one church, had a traditional service and a contemporary service. And people would sometimes argue about which was better between the services. Um, and 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 the sense was that, you know, it's, it's you got to, see it this way or see it that way. And I will tell you, let me just tell you a little bit about music and 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 I think what's a biblical view, just so you know, because people will argue about music. And I I I have no concept of I've never had a conversation with anybody about Calvary at Calvary about about music. But just it's a common issue. And what happens is um, people don't realize that God can and does use any form of music for his glory and honor. There's no such thing as Christian music, only Christian lyrics. God can use any form of music for his glory and honor. Except country Western. Um, I mean, he could use that, but he, he's, a, he's a loving God, so he chooses not to. So, um, so we see people like, well, I like this approach or I like that approach. And, um, and, and it's critically damaging because what happens is it actually causes people to fight over things that don't matter right? And that aren't central. And it's damaging to our unity uh, because it makes us the center of the world and everything sort of revolve around us instead of Jesus being the center and our mission. So I don't think we should choose things on the basis of our preferences right now or at any time. I think ultimately we should choose things on the basis of how is Jesus glorified and how is the mission advanced. So that's the negatives. Let's look at the positives. Two positives. First is humility, Right, literally, it's a humility of mind or low lying thoughts. I think it was C.S. Lewis, I, I who said once, humility is not thinking of less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less. Right, so that's the difference between the two. It's not uh, thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less. It's not all about me. The best selling book in the history of the English language, other than the Bible is a hardcover book called Purpose-Driven Life. And the first few words of it say, it's not about you. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And humility is not putting ourselves down, but lifting others up, right? So, and it's the antidote to prideful promotion. It doesn't uh, make you the priority along the way. It's unpretentious behavior, I guess we might say. It's interesting. John Wesley said this, people debate this. Um, John Wesley said that neither the Romans nor the Greeks had a term for humility because the concept was abhorrent to them. Well, probably, and they said in later, he would say in later centuries, pagan writers used the term in a derogatory way of Christians because they believe humility marked weakness. And, but here, and probably that's not 100% true, but, but um, one Bible commentator puts it this way. Malik, it says, before the New Testament era, era, the word humility had a negative connotation. It was frequently employed, and especially so to describe the mentality of a slave, conveyed the idea of being base, unfit, shabby, mean, of no account. So humility could not have been regarded by the pagan as a virtue to be sought after. So this is really very countercultural. Remember, we talked about the church, Calvary being a a biblically faithful, culturally relevant counterculture for the kingdom. One way where counterculture is, is we put ourselves first in culture we put others first in the body of Christ, and I will tell you this is um, often, you know, the, you know, for those of us who kind of think of ourselves as New Yorkers, kind of grew up in that context. You know, I, I go to the Midwest, and, and I'm a little um, aggressive sometimes for Midwesterners, and um, sometimes they'll say, "That's your New Yorker, right?" My, my, this week, one of my team, the kind of the guy who our managing director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, he said, I just have to remember sometimes that you're from New York. And I thought to myself, the people at Calvary would understand me. But I do think there's a sense that even in any place that is filled with people who are working hard or trying to accomplish things, they can get a sense of pride that is uh, the opposite of what the Christian, and don't, don't misunderstand, there's a godly ambition there's a desire to make a difference, right? The desire to make an impact, desire to better ourselves and provide for our families. That doesn't uh, remove humility. But again, humility is, following this passage, putting Jesus first, Philippians 1, uh, putting others second, Philippians 2. And one of the things we found even in business, right? Think about things like uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great, when he talked about the type of leader that's a level five leader. A level five leader is actually someone who has, he talks about this, this, uh, paradoxical mix, but of will, but also of this uh, not about him or herself putting others first and more. So humility is, an, is, a, is a virtue that the world knows it needs, but Jesus calls his people to. And I want to not to miss this, right? Uh, because we see this, um, we, we see uh, humility towards one another being necessary. Look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says this, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders." But then it says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, right? Uh, And there's actually in Colossians, it says Colossians 3.12, talking about things we put on. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, which I can tell you, those are not words that the context would have affirmed when Paul spoke or wrote those words. It's not easy to make others the priority. And so how do you know? I mean, I will say that this is a learning journey for me. And, you know, I try to think of my, i tell you one thing, I, I've, this may sound strange, but I, whenever I write a letter, and it's not just a quick dashed email, um, I try to ask, why am I the first sentence? Is the word I the first sentence in every sentence? You don't want that. You don't want, if you can, don't have I be the first word in a sentence, um, I try to think about how when I walk into a room, who do I find that I can elevate, invite to the conversation, encourage and bless. Don't misunderstand. I don't always do these things, but these are things that we can do. We can not be the center of all of our stories. We can not be the person who demands our own way, right? So, because I'm convinced that the greatest danger to unity is actually not disagreement, but pride. And this is why, um, you know, I like, you know, I came to Christ, um, Sean and I were talking last week. I came to Christ in the, like Sean did in the late 70s. And so my musical choices probably would reflect the great 70s, the, the great worship of the late 70s, you know. Uh, do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Probably not that one, but you know, I could sing uh, Jack Hayford's Majesty all day long and twice on Sunday. And that would be my preference. If I could pick a worship service it would be Keith Green and some Jack Hayford and a hymn or two. And um, But the reality is, is um, that's not Ultimately, my preference is not the key issue for deciding anything in my life, I hope, or in the church and more. But if I have pride that this is the only way it should be, I've got to recognize that pride. And when we can't get beyond disagreement to unity, my problem or my preference becomes more important than unity. Which leads to the next phrase in the passage, which says, Count others more significant than yourselves, Right. Uh, the word in the ESV is count. In the uh, American, it's regard others. It's esteem others in the King James Version. But more significant literally means to have above you, to put them above, to put their needs above you, count them more significant. Um, and I naturally, and you naturally want things to revolve around you. That's a normal expression, right? Um, Everybody has that. That's normal. And, and it doesn't, and this is, there's an unhealthy expression of this not to become a doormat or anything of that sort, but there is a call that we have to put others before ourselves in the Christian life consistently and intentionally. And it makes all the difference, right? That makes all the difference. Um, there's a fascinating, um, fascinating picture. I think that may help this. Um, It's how humility, just from a pastor's perspective, right? The the story is told in in these illustration books that a young Scottish minister walked into the pulpit to preach his first sermon. He had a brilliant mind and a good education and was confident of himself as he faced his first congregation. But the longer he preached, the more conscious everyone was that the Lord was not in the wind. The quote, the Lord was not in the wind. Um, He finished his message quickly, came down from the pulpit with his head bowed, his pride now gone. Afterward, one of the members said to him, "Um, if you had gone into the pulpit the way you came down from the pulpit, you might have come down from the pulpit the way you went up to the pulpit. And I think that's a great reality for all of us, right? If we can walk in that gracious humility, uh, not thinking too highly of ourselves, and then following Jesus in the midst of this, I think the, the picture can be quite a beautiful picture in the life of a church as well. Now, again, I know many of you will watch this, and I really want to encourage you to um, stay after the service today as well, because we have some great conversations afterwards. It's a time of fellowship and community. There's a couple more things I want to unpack when we get to the um, to the post service conversation, I'd like to encourage you to be a part of it. So stick around with us. The information is there on the website uh, for the Zoom call, and you'll be able to Zoom in and continue this conversation with us. But uh, you know, so how do you do this? How do you respond when you're uncomfortable in a group? Do you do you try to put others first? Do you try to make other people comfortable? Um, what, what what's the focus? Where's where's your how does your Finances reflect this reality. I told you recently about Don and I, literally, Don and my wife, we literally had this conversation the other day about joy, Jesus, others, you. And, and literally, that's Philippians 1, Jesus. Philippians 2 is others. And when we get to the end of Philippians 2, the Canonic hymn, we're going to see you in there as well. And Henrietta Mears put it this way She said, Be willing to be third, right? That's such a great thing. Jesus, others, and you. Be willing to be third. And in doing so, I think it changes our whole posture, our whole approach to uh, life and others. And it's a learning journey. It's not something that I have grasped fully. I'm still on this journey myself, but it's something we all can learn and walk through. We need to understand the necessity of putting others before ourselves. And that's going to be key for the long-term health of Calvary as well, right? Because Uh, it's always a challenge to kind of walk through and see what the next steps of our journey might be, but we need to do it together in humility with one another, which leads to, that was all point number one. And I know some of you are like doing the time and saying, you are going to run out of time. I went long last week. I'm not going long this week, right? So number two in our outline is choose to put others before yourself, right? And this is clearly in verse four, but let me remind you, we can live together in unity, but it requires us to have a new priority, Right, So we've got to have that new priority of uh, putting others first. Right, So it's not just about what you think. It's about what you do. Verse 3 is about our attitude. Choosing to believe others are more important. Or put others uh, in our mind is more important. Verse 4 is about action. Choosing to place the good of others before our own. So it says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also The interests of others, right? So um, that passage reminds us that there's action, not just what I'm thinking, you know, thinking not less of myself, but think about myself less um, often. But beyond that, it's putting others' interests first. Let me me give an example. Since I use the example of music, it's not the only example, but it was on my mind because I was recently um, going through a process. I had to fill in a form and list places that I've worked and one of the places I worked was a church in um, outside of Atlanta, I won't name the church, it doesn't matter, they've, 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 they had some struggles, they've actually had a much better place now. But the church is a predominantly white congregation when I started serving there, and maybe 80% white. And the, the community, one of the things that's happened in Atlanta in a lot of, uh, like, like New York and other places, um, in, in a lot of cities, in Chicago, for example, um, and in Detroit and places like that, uh, oftentimes the poor are in the uh, inner city. And, but in Atlanta, in some ways, um, like other cities, the inner city, the middle, the, the, the core of the city has actually become more and more affluent and pushed out people. And, and in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, African-American community was, um, was moved out as neighborhoods became gentrified. And they, many moved into this community where this church was. And people loved Jesus and more. And the church was trying to figure out that the the church at that, the community at that time was 60% African American. Uh, The church was 80% Anglo. And the new movers were 95% African American. And I remember the conversation between the services. We actually, someone got into an argument about whether we should be contemporary or traditional. But the contemporary and the traditional were really the preferences of people who were there for a long term. Who and it felt very, it didn't feel like in a tradition that where I might be in a you know in an African American church tradition at all. And I said to them, I, I get that you have a preference, and I looked at the other person. I get that you have a preference, but all around us, this community is transforming, and all kinds of new people are moving in who would really have neither of those preferences. And I remember saying, could we look out for the interests of people who are not yet here? And it took a little while. We actually talked through it and walked through it. It took a little while. But um, when we actually got to the place where we asked, not like in the case of our worship, and I'm not going to talk much more about this because it's not the theme of my message, but it just happened to be on my mind this week. Um, It's not about what I prefer or not about what you prefer. It's really about um, ultimately God's glory and his mission. And the question that this church needed to ask and did ask eventually is, is how do we become a place where people can be biblically faithful, culturally engaged, counterculture community for the kingdom of God here in the place we find ourselves? And they, they, they did, and it was a sacrifice to do so. But we, we had to get to the place where it wasn't about us, it's not about you. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.18 puts it this way. It says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's not about the preferences of the moment, the preferences that I have before me. It's ultimately about Jesus and his mission. And we see this throughout the scriptures, right? Think of 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no one seek his own good, but for the good of his neighbor. So making it not about you gives Jesus to the opportunity to make it more about Him. When you make it about others, Jesus can make it more about Him. And, you know, we, it's not a natural inclination for us to have, right? It's just not a natural inclination. But the Lord can be honored when we walk through that process. Let me give you a final illustration. A nursing student tells the story. She said, during my second month of nursing school, our professor gave us a pop quiz. I was a conscientious student who had breezed through the questions until I read the last one. What is the first name of the woman who cleans the school? Surely, she writes, this was some kind of joke. I had seen the cleaning woman several times. She was tall, dark haired in her 50s, but why would I know her name? How would I know her name? I handed in my paper, leaving the last question blank. Before class ended, one student asked if the last question would count towards our quiz grade. Absolutely, said the professor. In your careers, you'll meet many people, all are significant. They deserve your attention and your care, even if all you do is smile and say hello. I've never forgotten that lesson. I also learned her name was Dorothy. Who is Dorothy in your life that needs your attention? So for us, valuing others before ourselves is not a natural inclination. It's not about me, it's not about my rights. It's not about my preferences. It's not about getting my way. It's not about my reputation. It's about Jesus, Philippians 1. It's about others, Philippians 2. It's about to be about Jesus again in Philippians 2, and then it ends being about others. So I serve others, and I put others before myself. Sisters and brothers, Calvary, we're walking through a challenging time. Pandemic, facility change figuring all this stuff out, the thing that God would have us to do in this time is multifaceted and complex. This is not everything there is to say on the subject, but if we would commit to put others before ourselves in this time, God would be honored, the church would be unified, Jesus would be glorified, and others would be impacted. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge again our need to be reminded that it's not about us. It's about you. It's about your kingdom. And ultimately, it's about us putting others first. Remind us to live in light of that truth. And Lord Jesus, may you be glorified as our church grows in our humility and our desire to lift up others before ourselves. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen.
0: Thank you for listening to From Calvary. For more information, to connect, make a prayer request, or make a contribution, go to our website at www.cbcnyc.org or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.